Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. some praise today, amen? Man, wasn't worship awesome today? Man, I tell you what, our, our worship team just gets, keeps getting gooder and gooder and gooder, man. I tell you, that one song when it's, man, look at him. Man, I don't know how you can look at him and it not just get all over you, amen? Man, when I just go to look at him, I just have to, I'm like, boy, I better stop. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to preach today. Man, God is so good. What it is great to be here with you today. My name is Olin Carter. I get to serve here on our teaching team, and um, I see some new faces in the house, which is awesome, and love to let you know a little bit about Freedom House Church. Something very unique about our church is we have multiple campuses. Um, we have an online campus, um, but we have a live communicator, a live speaker bringing God's Word each and every week at each and every campus. I always like to take just a moment and for us together as a church, just to give some honor to our pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, can you give it up to them for having that vision to build a church around a team of people, around the vision of God, not just around themselves. I just think that's awesome. So I love them for that. And I just love our teaching team. I love getting to see these, these concepts from a different angle. I do want to take a moment before I jump in today and greet our online campus. You guys give it up for them. Thank you for joining us. We have folks joining us right now in Alabama, Arizona, Georgia, Louisiana, New York, South Carolina, Texas, and Washington. Amazing. All across the country, people are tuning in right now. So welcome. We're so glad you're with us today to hear God's word. And so we're in this great series right now, Throwing Shade. You guys like that bumper? Get you in the mood to do a little, you know, a little boxing. You guys like, show of hands who likes boxing in the house. Yeah, see, it's a dying sport. I love boxing. Nobody likes boxing anymore. I love boxing. I, I like watching them duke it out. It's amazing. But you know, sometimes with our words, we tend to fight and punch each other and do a little bit of damage. Amen. Anybody been there before? Maybe, maybe had some tough conversations. What I want to talk to you about today is something that most of us try to avoid. Most of us don't look forward to, but it's an important, I would say an essential part of our life and our relationships. What I'm going to talk to you about today is the art of the hard conversation. 
the art of the hard conversation. I titled it that because we love art. We love to, to master things. Everybody wants to be a great musician, a great artist, a great businessman or woman. We want to be great at all these things. But not many people aspire to be great at hard conversations. Not many people go to college and study hard conversations. Not many people aspire to be the best and the brightest at having hard conversations. In fact, most of us spend our times thinking, devising strategies of how we can avoid having hard conversations. Can I get an amen? We don't like them very much. And I've got a warning label on this message for you today. If, if you get really good at having tough conversations, unfortunately, you'll most likely be promoted at work. You'll probably have deeper and more fulfilling relationships. Boo. Who wants that, right? And you'll enjoy your life more than you ever have before. So warning label, if, if none of those things appeal to you, just tune out right now. You don't need to learn this. But if you would like to live a richer life, if you would like your relationships to be healthier, to be stronger, I invite you to tune in right now. I want to ask you a question to start off today. And this is something I just want you to think about for a moment. It's okay. I'm going to be quiet for a minute. I'm going to let you think, so don't, you know, get all awkward on me. But I want you to think about this. What is the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people in any given area of life? Sports, business, finance, relationships, spiritually. What is the difference between the successful and the unsuccessful? Now, I want you to think about a few things in your mind. You're probably all thinking, well, they work harder. They show up early. They go the extra mile. They have more heart. They're smarter. They're brighter. They're this. They're talented, right? Any of you guys got some of those thoughts in your head? You're all wrong. You're all wrong. Y'all got it wrong. I hate to tell you, you failed the test. There's a little book I read years ago about success. It was a little mini book, and it had one of the most profound thoughts I've ever, ever encountered in my life. It's a simple thought, but it's profound. The difference between the successful and the unsuccessful in any area of life is one simple thing. One simple thing. Now, how can you boil it down to one thing? It's one thing. It's one thing. The successful people are willing to do what the unsuccessful people aren't. Period. The successful people are always willing to do what the unsuccessful aren't. Now, in the realm of relationships, when people have unhealthy relationships, when people aren't able to have a healthy and vibrant marriage, when they jump out of relationship, when they always struggle with their relationships at work, when they're always fighting, when they can't keep long-lasting friendships, when they always feel used or when they're using others, when they can't ever have success in this area, it's because they refuse to do what the people with the successful relationships are willing to do. And that's have a hard conversation. If you're unwilling to have a hard conversation, you're not going to have successful relationships. It's just not possible. When it comes to dealing with confrontation, the overwhelming majority of people fall into one of two categories. And if you're taking notes today, and I would encourage you to because I've got a lot to cover and I'm going to throw some scriptures at you that I'm not going to have time to read. So I'm going to give you some, some homework to do. So I encourage you to write these things down. But when it comes to dealing with confrontation, the overwhelming majority of people fall into one of two categories. Either they avoid confrontation at all costs, 
And maybe you're one of those people, or maybe you know somebody like that, that no matter what it is, they're not going to say anything. You're standing in line, someone jumps in the line, and they just go, oh, well. And they don't say anything. You're in the movie theater, somebody's, you know, disturbing the peace, and, you know, you just sit there. Somebody's doing something that's aggravating you, and you just swallow it. You don't say anything, you don't confront them. And then the other group of people are the people who are either overly aggressive in confrontation or when they enter into confrontation, they don't know how to do it well. The, the, the confrontation tends to make the relationship worse. And so if you're one of those people that maybe you go, well, I'm not afraid of confrontation, let me just warn you a little bit because you might be one of those people that go, you know, you take pride in the fact that, oh, I'll say it. I ain't afraid. I will say it. I will say it. But everyone around you knows when you say it, the relationship doesn't get better. It gets worse. Everybody leaves the room madder than when they walked in. Congratulations. Some people are looking for confrontation. I remember I was in the movie theater one time. I had my phone on, and the movie hadn't started yet. And somebody yells from above me, turn your phone off. I'm like, number one, calm down. It's a movie. Like, it'll be okay. But sometimes people, just see, I've already upset somebody. You, you go around yelling at people, that's what will happen. And so just because you're willing to have a hard conversation doesn't mean you know how to do it right. It doesn't mean that the outcome is always good. Now, studies do show that most people, most people fall into category one. Most people, if we're guilty as a society of either saying too much or staying what we would call silent, most people fall into category one. Most people will bite their tongue, will let it go. There's a great book that we just went through as a staff called Crucial Conversations. Some of the staff here, y'all loved it. Great book, great book. They talk about in the book the concept of silence or violence. And that's, that captures these two categories of people. And here's the truth. You stay silent long enough, it's always going to lead to violence. Silence always leads to violence. Because if you bite your tongue, if, if, you, if you just sit on that thing that's, that's bugging you, annoying you, upsetting you, making you angry, eventually, like a volcano, you're going to erupt. And so that's why silence is no good. And so that means that most people listening to me right now let, listen, let bad behavior, broken promises, and unmet expectations go by without ever saying a word. Maybe that's you. But what do we think is going to happen when we do this? I mean, have you ever sat and thought through in your head what your game plan is? I mean, do we think our relationships are going to improve because we were nice enough to ignore their bad behavior? Do we think we're going to be more effective at work working with someone that we can't trust to honor their commitments? Do we really think that's going to happen? Or by remaining silent, maybe, maybe they will work harder to read our minds and know what we're thinking. If I just stay quiet long enough, we will develop like, you know, telekinesis or something, and he'll just be able to look into my eyes. Like, is that what we think? Maybe we think God will just do a miracle and make everything work out. Sometimes as Christians, we tend to over-spiritualize things. Well, I'm just going to pray on it. 
I'm just going to pray on it. Maybe God will just heal the relationship. And I was on a missions trip one time, and uh, <laughs> we went out in the morning, and we were ministering all day in the hot sun. I think we were in Mexico. It was super hot that day. It was like 100 degrees. We had made these sandwiches for lunch, and they were like ham and cheese and mayonnaise on them, and they were sitting in this hot bus. And so we come back from doing some ministry, and we forgot about the sandwiches. And so we're all starving, right? And so we see the sandwiches, and we're like, man, I'm so hungry. I just I want to eat the sandwiches. But, you know, we all thought, that's not a good idea, you know? We're going to get sick. This isn't good. But one guy, one guy, let me tell you, man of faith. He, he rebuked us sharply. He said, what is wrong with you people? You're out here serving Jesus, ministering the gospel. The Bible said no deadly thing will harm you. Man, just eat the sandwich. And we were like, lead the way, brother. Lead the way. And so he tears into those sandwiches. And let me tell you, man, miracle. He ate like five sandwiches, didn't get sick at all. Y'all know I'm lying, right? He got sick as a dog. He couldn't even get out of bed the next day, right? I mean, food poisoning. I mean, this poor guy, he is sick as a dog. And you know what? Sometimes in our relationships, that's what we do. We over-spiritualize everything, and God can do miracles in your marriage, in your life. But God gave you a brain for a reason. God expects us to use common sense, and God will do the supernatural. But how many of you know he holds us responsible to do the natural? We've got to be willing. You can't, listen, God's not going to have hard conversations for you. You have to bring him to them. You have to bring God into the hard conversations and relationships in your life. And so throwing shade is all about how we use our mouth. But you have to understand that the answer to throwing shade is not throwing your car in neutral. Just not using your tongue to hurt others is not enough. We have to put the car in drive, and we got to know where we're going. We've got to have a plan to deal with the relation issues in our life. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. I'll give you a moment to get there. If you have your Bible app, get that out. I always encourage people to read along because you never know. I could be reading something wrong. You want to follow along with me? I could be reading out of 1 Hezekiah or something. Somebody tried to get me with that the other day. Who was that? Michael Ott. He was like... You know where Hezekiah 6 is? I'm like, that ain't in the Bible, man. You ain't getting me with that one. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, there is a lot here, and I know that Pastor Troy, he talked about this passage a couple weeks ago. I've actually preached on this passage before too, but when I was studying this, one thing that occurred to me is we always skip past verse 15 because we like to get to verse 16 and 17. Because verse 16 and 17 tells us what to do when that person won't listen. And we all come into conflict thinking, well, they're not going to listen. How do I make them submit to what I want? Great strategy, by the way. Works every time. People love to be manipulated. But what God began to show me is the reason we need verses 16 and 17 is because we don't get verse 15. 
See, we skip past verse 15 and we don't dig the truth out of verse 15. And so we don't understand how to or we don't take initiative to have the hard conversations. And the truth is, if we know how to have hard conversations well, you will very rarely need verses 16 and 17. You shouldn't have to get people to come with you into your interpersonal conflicts very often. If you need people to help you all the time, if that's a regular occurrence, maybe we're doing something wrong. Amen? And so the good news is that we're not going to need verse 16 and 17 much if we get verse 15. The goal of having a hard conversation is to gain a brother or sister. Everybody say gain. Now how many of you like some gain? Like some, some profit? That Greek word can be translated profit. Yeah, I knew the businessmen in here because they're like doing their hands. They're like, yeah, I like some profit. I like some gain. Everybody likes a little gain, right? And that Greek word can also be used as that word profit or profit from. Now, when you gain on a property or investment, why do you make a gain? Why do you make a profit? Because the value goes up, right? You end up taking more out than you initially put in, right? You get back more than your initial investment. And there's a, there's a, a thought that I want you to write down that I want you to begin to think about today in the realm of your relationships. How many of you have ever heard the, the term ROI, return on investment? I want to talk to you today a little bit about ROI, relational return on investment. Because you see, I believe that when we put into a relationship, we should always get more back out than what we're putting in. Now let me explain this to you because I, can, I know where some of you are going to go with that. You're going to go, well, does that mean that the other person puts in more than me? No, 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 not at all. It means this. It means if I put in half and they put in half, what we take back out should be more than the whole of what we put in. If we invest, if I go in with partners on a property and we put $100,000 into it, we should get $200,000 back out of it. Can I get an amen? And the problem sometimes in our relationships is we're putting in $100,000 and getting back out $50,000. We're working so hard at our relationships because what we put back in, we don't get back out, and it's the law of diminishing returns. Eventually, if you put in more than you take out, you're going to run out of money, right? And we serve a God of abundance. And how many of you know God always gets out more than he puts in? I'll prove it to you. God always gets a positive return on investment. Number one, how many of you know God knows everything? So when God makes an investment, he knows if it's worth it before he makes the investment. And so when God makes an investment, he's a God of abundance. He knows the investment is going to pay off. Amen? The parable of the talents, if you've never heard that parable before, the master goes away, he leaves some talents for his servants. They're to invest, they're to do something with the talents. When he comes back, one of the servants says to him, and the master is symbolic of God, I know you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow. You see, God reaps where he does not even sow. God invests, but he always gets back more than he invests. The investment God made through Jesus, his, his return on that investment will outweigh the investment of his suffering. Now, these are some scriptures I want you to write down. You can read them later. Acts 20, verse 28. The Bible tells us that he purchased the church with his own blood. 
So Jesus purchased us. He made an investment. What did it cost him? It cost him his life. It cost him his blood. So he made an investment. Romans 8.29 says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. And so Jesus made an investment of his life. God made an investment of his son, but he didn't just get his son back. He got lots of sons back. See, God always reaps. He always gets a positive return. God always sees multiplication come back. That's a spiritual principle. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus looked through time and he saw you as an investment and he said, You're worth it. You're worth it. I'm willing to invest my suffering. I'm willing to invest my blood. I'm willing to invest my life. Why? Because the return, what I'm going to get back out of relationship with you and you and you and you and you and you, he said, that's worth it for me. God said, that's going to multiply back what I've put in. But most of us struggle in our relationships and with people because we always get back less than we put in. Because we're not willing to have hard conversations. Because we're not willing to do the hard work to see the return on our relationships. Eventually, if you put more in than you get out, where does that lead you to? Bankruptcy. It leads you to bankruptcy. And many of us aren't willing to have the hard conversations to gain our brother or sister. The difference between Jesus and us was Jesus was willing to suffer the cross to gain us. And many times... We're not willing to have an uncomfortable conversation to gain a brother. So Jesus was willing to die. Jesus was willing to suffer. Jesus was willing to, to die on the cross to gain you. But sometimes we're not willing to just have an awkward or uncomfortable conversation to gain a brother. Do you see the difference there? This causes us to get a negative return on our investment. Instead of working through problems, instead of building trust, we ignore the issue and it gets worse. And when we get back less than our investment, eventually we end up in relational bankruptcy. So what are the signs of relational bankruptcy? Maybe some of you are thinking right now, man, I might be there. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've had people abuse you, neglect you, mistreat you in the past. And maybe you feel like maybe you're there. Well, let's look at some of the signs of relational bankruptcy. Number one, when you're in a relational bankruptcy, you lose trust. We lose trust. We stop trusting people, and people stop trusting us. And see, when you're in a life-giving relationship, trust should always grow. You should look at every relationship you have, and if trust is decreasing, not increasing, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. That's a sign you need to have a hard conversation. And if you stopped being willing to trust people, if you enter into new relationships saying, uh-uh, I'm not going to trust you. No, no, no. I couldn't trust him. I couldn't trust her. I couldn't trust him. So I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to trust anybody anymore. You might be in relational bankruptcy. The second thing is we see people as risks, not opportunities. We see people as risks, not opportunities. When it comes to relationships, especially new ones, are you looking more for the negative or are you looking more for the positive? So many people that I've talked to over the years that have had issues in their marriage or maybe they've come out of a, a rough friendship or, or work situation and they just feel like they've been beat up, they tend to get really cynical and negative towards everybody. They get bitter, they get jaded, and before you even have a chance to burn them, they already feel burned. 
They've already pre-rejected because you know what? Everybody else hurt me, and because they hurt me, you're probably going to hurt me. And so they see people as a risk, not as an opportunity. And when you invest, if all you see is risk, guess what you stop doing? You stop investing. You start hoarding up your money because I'm not putting my money in the stock market. I'll lose it. I'll lose my money. I'll lose my capital. I'll lose my investment. And that's what we do relationally when we've been burned, when we've been in relational bankruptcy. We stop investing in others. We stop being willing to give because we never feel like we're going to get anything back. The last relationship, I gave, I gave, I gave, I gave, and I always got back less than what I put in, and so I'm going to stop investing. I'm not going to invest in people anymore. The third thing is we become focused on self. In bankruptcy, you can't afford to open up new obligations. I've been in the lending world for a long time, and that's one of the first things that happen when you file bankruptcy is your credit is shot, and the court says you can't open any new debt. can't open any new debt. And so what do you do? You become very focused on self. You start shrinking all the relationships and opportunities in your financial life, and that's what we do relationally too. When we're relationally bankrupt, when we've refused over time to have the hard conversations, to work through the relationships we have, when we're always getting back less than we put in, we run out of relational capital, we stop investing, and we become focused on me, me, me. Life becomes about how I can protect myself from everyone else instead of how I can benefit from the blessing of relationship. And before we can fix relational issues, we need God to fix our heart. So maybe you're there today. Maybe you're someone who has been betrayed, has been hurt, has been through a series of rough or negative relationships. Maybe you consistently get back less than you feel like you put in. Before you can do any of the practical steps we're going to talk about today, you have to have God fix your heart. Most people that I've talked to who are dealing with extreme relationship issues tend to have a cynical view towards others. The pain of their past has caused them to stop believing that people are a blessing. But when Jesus was on the cross being crucified, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, well, that's good for Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus can forgive people crucifying him, but I'm not Jesus. And so often I talk to Christians who are going through relational issues, and when you bring up forgiveness, when you bring up these issues, they say, I'm not Jesus, I'm not God, I'm not spiritually mature enough to forgive them for how bad they hurt me. No, I'm not doing it. Because we look at that and we say, but I'm not Jesus. But I've got news for you. Turn with me to Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. See, Apostle Paul writing, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, when you come to Jesus, all your relationship baggage was crucified on that cross. All your sins, all your mistakes. Well, I've been divorced two times. Crucified. I failed in every relationship I've been. Crucified. I've messed up every crucified. It doesn't matter what your past is. When you come to Jesus, you and everything you brought into the relationship with God has been crucified with Christ. And he says, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So when you look at that hurt, when you look at that pain and you say, I can't forgive them, you're asking the wrong question. 
The question for the Christian is not can you forgive them, it's can Jesus? Because it's Jesus that's living in you. And so when you say, I can't forgive them, doesn't matter, because he can. He lives in you, and he can forgive them through you. The power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, is in you right now. And so it doesn't matter if we feel hurt, if we feel beaten up. Maybe you think, man, relationships are not for me. I've just given up. It doesn't matter because the living God is inside of you. And Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you believe Jesus has given up on relationships? No. Do you believe Jesus can forgive them? Yeah. It gets a lot easier when it's not my power trying to forgive. It's Christ forgiving through me. I don't have to have the power to forgive. He does. He died on the cross for them. And that person that hurts you, guess what? He died for them too. And so the power to forgive, the power to move on, the power to live this out is already inside of you if you're a believer. There's no reason, no excuse as a Christian, as a believer, that we can't have healthy relationships. There's never an excuse or a reason that we can say, I'm just too hurt. I'm just to this. I'm just, no, no, no. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. And I believe Paul put that in there because sometimes, again, as Christians, we like to spiritualize things. Well, that's good for church. That's good for life group. That's good. But this is the real world. This is the real world. This is my kids. This is my marriage. This is my career. No, this is the real world. No, Paul says the life that I now live in the flesh. No, the real world is affected by this Christ that's living in me. It says I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question again, it's not can I forgive, it's can Jesus forgive. So how can Christ empower us? to walk into new relationships, to forget our past, and to build healthy relationships. I'm going to give you some practical tips today. So if you want to write these down, I'm going to put some of them up on the, they're going to put some of them up on the screen for you. We're going to talk through a few of these today before we end. But I want you to leave today with some practical tips. Number one, I want you to know that you can believe in relationships. Relationships are a blessing. And when you learn to have the hard conversations, you will benefit, you will profit from relationship God has given us relationships to build us up not tear us down and if you've had those bad relationships in the past don't let that color your attitude towards everyone else in your future I heard a pastor say the other day that if you won't let go of your past it won't let you have a future you have to let go of those past hurts and so how do we walk into some healthy relationships when you have something that you need to talk about number one you're writing these down start with yourself number one start with yourself Jesus tells us in that verse to take initiative if your brother sins against you what does he say wait for them to come and talk about it no he says go go it's on you and too many times we're offended we're hurt we're upset we're angry and we don't go we wait we wait for the other person to take initiative. And Jesus says, no, if your brother sins against you, go. Take initiative and go. You have to know yourself. And one thing that is just proven by science, and I don't care if you're one of the people who are always quiet and you avoid conflict, or if you're one of the people who yells at everybody. 
I don't care which one you are, it's proven. Whenever we go into a high-stakes conversation, your body goes into fight-or-flight mode. It just does. And so you have to know when you're entering into one of these conversations, your blood pressure's up. Your blood's flowing. Your face might get a little red. You might start to sweat a little bit. You might get a little jittery. You might come across a little agitated. And it's important to know that your body language makes up more of our uh, communication than what we say. And so when you come into a, a hard conversation and you have to tell someone, hey, I'm upset, or talk about something critical, you need to know first and foremost that your face is going to say way more than your mouth ever is. And so when you come into the room, I remember one time I was taking a loan application from this lady, and everything was fine. I, it was just a normal deal. She was sitting across the table from me, and we're just sitting here talking. But she is looking at me like she wanted to murder me with a butcher knife. I mean, she was just like, just looking at me. And I, I remember I just stopped, pulled the paperwork back, and I said, do we have a problem? Because something was up. And it's great, and all the husbands will agree in here, when, when you say, hey, is everything all right, honey? And you hear, I'm fine. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're not fine. I've locked all the drawers where the knives are. I've put up all the weapons. Like I've unloaded all the weapons. I mean, like, no, you're not fine. No, you look very unfine. And people know when you're not fine. When you go into the room, you have to check your heart first. It's proven that when you smile... You use different muscles in your face when you smile for real or when you're faking it. And people, without even knowing it, through years and years of interaction with people, subconsciously know instantly whether you're smiling for real or whether you're faking it. So when someone tells that joke at work that's really not funny and you go, <laughs> they know you're lying. If they look at you, they go, he didn't like my joke. They know. People are smarter than we give them credit for. And so before you go into a hard conversation, check your heart. Make sure that you're going in to learn something. Make sure you're going in to bring healing to the relationship. You're not just going in to win. Number two, be clear and sincere. Everybody say, be clear and sincere. That was okay. Let's do it again. Be clear and sincere. There you go. Worst thing in the world, you're talking to somebody and they're mumbling, right? I have to get on my son about that. I'm like, hey, what's so-and-so? And he's like, and I'm like, man, I'm about to kick you. Like, Speak up. Like when you can't hear, it's terrible. Be clear and sincere. A huge reason why hard conversations don't go well is because we start them out with a lie. You go into the hard conversation and you go, really? You wanted to talk about the fact that they lied in front of other people, made you look like a fool. They totally undercut you at work in that meeting. And you go into the meeting and you say, you know, I've just been wanting to catch up with you because I just feel like it's been a while since we've talked. You liar! That is not why you want to talk to them. And when you start a conversation out with a lie, do you think God's going to bless it? Why are we trying to fool people that it's not a hard conversation when we know that it is? No, Jesus says to go and tell them their fault. Be clear and be sincere. God's not going to bless a lie. And it doesn't mean you have to be too direct. It doesn't mean you have to meet with somebody and say, I just wanted to meet with you because you're a jerk and I hate your guts and I just wanted to tell you that. 
It means you can be honest and say, hey, what you did hurt me, can we talk about it? Not, I've just been meaning to catch up. Liar. You don't want to catch up, you want to hit them with something. Number three, lead with facts, not conclusions. Jesus told him, tells us, tell him his fault. Jesus didn't say, tell him his intentions. And it drives me nuts when people come into a hard conversation and they've already diagnosed the problem and already know how to fix it. Well, you did this because, I'm like, well, then I don't need to be here. If you already know my heart, you know why I did everything, you know how I think, you know how to fix it, I can just leave. Just send me a memo and let me know what I need to do. You're not smart enough to know your own heart. And neither am I. Half the time, I don't know what I'm thinking. You definitely don't know what that other person's thinking. And so when we come into a hard conversation, you lead with facts. Hey, you showed up at 9 a.m. You said you would be here at 8.30. That's a fact. That's a great place to start a hard conversation because you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Amen? If they showed up at 8.30, shouldn't be much of an argument there versus if they showed up at 9. And so start with facts. Start with what actually happened, not your diagnosis of their intent. I wanted to talk to you because you always embarrass me and do this to me. Whoa. Number one, when you start out that way, walls immediately go up. You're not going to get anywhere in that conversation because you've declared war. And guess what happens? When you declare war, the other side activates defense uh, condition bravo. They're like, all right, let's go. We're fighting, right? You've declared it. Your, your face has already come in and you're, you get to look. Come on in. I just want to talk to you. So they know by your face you're mad, you're angry. You've already decided their intent. And then you don't state facts. You don't lead the right way. You immediately start judging their intentions. What are they going to do? Walls are going to come up. And then it becomes a battle to see who can win instead of a conversation to see who can love and who can heal. Give the other person the benefit of the doubt. You see, what we do is when something happens like that, we tell ourselves a little story. See, when someone's late, what we do is we tell ourselves a little story about why they were late. Well, I know they were late because they were with their, they went by Starbucks and they were just taking their time and they don't value my time. And they did. Stop, and before you start the conversation, tell yourself a different story. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why they were late. Maybe they had a good reason. Maybe a terrorist pulled their car over. Maybe they were hijacked. Maybe a building fell in front. I don't know. I don't know what happened and neither do you. So instead of jumping to guilty, start by giving them the benefit of the doubt. You must be willing to learn or hard conversations will not go well. Number four, this is huge. Decide what you want to happen. Most people never do this, and they live with the frustration over getting, never getting what they want. So many times I'm pulled into these hard conversations to mediate between people, and they're just going at it. And I always try to get it to the point of, okay, 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 listen. We've established he is the worst person in the world. Got it. What would you like him to do differently? And it is amazing how many times when I'm in hard conversations or I'm helping others navigate hard conversations, they can't answer that question. 
well, it's not about that. Well, then what do you want? Do you just want to be angry? Do you just want to hear yourself talk? Is, what exactly do you want them to do? Is, is the mission of the conversation just to punish the other person? Because if it is, I would suggest just bring weapons and hurt each other. I mean, just start the conversation with a roundhouse kick and be done with it. Like, I just want to beat the you-know-what out of you. If that's the goal, then that's the goal. But that's not the goal, amen? The goal should be to heal the relationship. And so instead of coming to it that way, think about what you would actually like to happen. I would really like our relationship to be built on trust. Okay, well, if that's true, how would you respond? How would this conversation go if you really wanted to build a relationship on a foundation of trust? Not if you want to punish them. Not if you want to show them you're right. Not if you want to win. But if I want a better relationship, if I want to walk in trust, how would that actually go? Once you've written down that desire, once you figure out what you're really looking for, is it godly? Is the outcome you're looking for godly? Because it might not be. And if what you're looking for that person to do, once you actually take the time to think through it, if it's not actually a godly desire, how many of you know you should probably let it go? Amen? Maybe instead of having the hard conversation to manipulate them into doing the ungodly thing that they really shouldn't be doing that you really want them to do, maybe you should meet with them, confess the ungodly desire, and pray together. <gasps> Don't do that. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? If it is a godly desire, write it down. Make it clear. Make sure you go in with that. And finally, number five, pray. Before you have a hard conversation, pray. When you start it, pray. Invite God into the conversation. Your arguments with your spouse will go way better if you invite God. Something about having the Holy Spirit there seems, I don't know why, it just seems to change things. When I have the Holy Spirit invited, I just tend to be a little nicer. So pray. That's the one step we never seem to do. Pray. Pray before. Pray when it starts. Again, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, what you have gained. You have profited. There is great profit in relationship. God wants to bless you through relationship. The way we gain or profit from relationships is by having these hard conversations and I'm here to tell you today there's no alternative there's no shortcut you get to choose today between abundance and bankruptcy in your relationships you get to choose God's not going to choose you get to choose between abundance and bankruptcy I think the choice is pretty clear amen amen would you stand on your feet with me this morning I was having a talk with Pastor Troy the other day. and You know the hardest conversations to have are really the conversations with yourself. You know the reason why in the U.S. we're so addicted to busy? Because we don't like the quiet. Because I don't want to ask and I don't want to answer the hardest questions in my own heart. I want to ask you for a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to ask you today, are you asking yourself the hard, the hard questions? Are you having the hard, the tough conversations? Do I know that I'm right 
with God? Do I know that God is using me every day? Am I living in God's will? Those are tough questions to ask. And you can turn up the volume of life. You can get busier. You can go work overtime. You can have fun. You can get on Facebook. You can distract yourself with a million things. But laying in your bed late at night, when eventually your eyes are burning and you're so tired, you just can't look at one more distraction. In that moment, right before you're going to drift off to sleep, that, that feeling, that tugging inside that something's just not right, is still going to be there. There's only one way to solve that. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Jesus was willing to do the hard thing to win you. And everything we're talking about today in relationship, it's about being willing to do the hard thing in order to gain a brother. Listen, Jesus did the hardest thing to gain you. He did it for one reason. He wants your heart. And I want to ask you right now, if you've never given him your heart, if you've never responded to that love, man, I want to challenge you right now to make that decision. If you're joining us online, I want to put that out there for you as well. There's a button you can click. We have people that will pray with you. But I want to lead us in a prayer this morning. If that's you and you would like to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you'd like to receive that hard thing, that gift that he gave for you, would you just raise your hand up right now? We just want to say a simple prayer with you. And we're going to say this prayer all together. Church, let's pray it together. Say, Father God, thank you for doing what's hard. You gave it all for me. I receive that now by faith. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And I ask you right now to change me. Help me see the benefit of relationships. To have the hard conversations. To live in the abundance you've put before me, God. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.